Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being so good. God, thank you for this book. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy. God, thank you for hearing the prayers of us, God. Why would you even be mindful of us makes no sense, but that you would hear our prayers and care what we pray and answer prayers, God. God, thank you. It's shallow, but thank you for what we got, Lord. I pray you'd help us to remember to thank you with our lips. God, I pray most of all you'd help us to thank you with our lives, God, that we'd live a life pleasing to you, Father, that you may see a true, genuine thank you from our hearts, God. We do love you, Lord. You've been so good to us. We praise you. I ask you to meet with us tonight, Lord. Teach us something. Here we look at a new study, Father. Thank you for it. I pray you'd teach us something. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we, we've been looking through books of the Bible for quite a while. We've covered a few of them in, in seven and a half years on Wednesday nights. We were doing them on Wednesday nights and even some on Sunday nights for a while. And back in 2018, we spent several months in 1 Corinthians and moved on over into 2 Corinthians. And we finished up 2 Corinthians last year. And in May of last year, we started the book of Romans. And uh, we did 43 Wednesday nights on the book of Romans and Pretty much finished that up last week. We got close enough to call it finished. Um, because I knew we were getting near the end of the book of Romans, I've been praying for a few weeks about where would God have us go next, what would happen. I started studying the book of Philemon. I thought it would be a good study, something short, something small, something we could do a little quicker. And it's kind of what led to part of last Sunday morning's message. I was studying that. It's amazing if you're looking for something for Wednesday night and God gives you something different than what you're looking for. But I'm, I'm pretty excited about what we're doing. Um, I, I gain more and more confidence that the Lord would have us do a study through the book of Acts. I will tell you that the book of Acts, if God doesn't change that, and we go through the book of Acts, it'll probably take two years. Um, it's not something we're going to breeze through. Even though we're doing these on, I, I would call these a shallow study. We're, we're not doing in-depth studies. We're not doing word studies. I mean, we, we literally are surface studying. We, 43 weeks is a surface study of the book of Romans. I mean, for example, Romans 12, 1 and 2, we, we should have spent six to eight weeks right there alone. Um, but we finished up there on one week and picked up there next week and kind of let that be it. So, I mean, these, these really are just kind of highlight over the main things, but... I'm looking forward to Acts. I don't ever remember teaching Acts in here on a Wednesday or even on a Sunday through the book. I remember doing Acts in Sunday school. I remember teaching a Bible college course on the book of Acts. But I don't remember doing it as a study. But it's an incredible book to go through. Um, it's actually called the Acts of the Apostles. It is, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. But it is written by the hand of Luke, the physician. It was written somewhere around... Early 60s A.D., we know that because he talked about Paul's second imprisonment there at Rome. So we know that takes us to at least 62 A.D. So the final print, at least, it would have been somewhere in the early 60s. But Luke is considered to be the first historian of the church, the first storyteller of the church age. He's known as the loved physician. He was a fellow worker of the Apostle Paul, a co-worker um, there, the Apostle Paul. As a matter of fact, that makes a really good trivia question. I wish I'd have had a Wednesday night group. If this had been a Sunday school class, those of you who been my Sunday school, you know, I used to send a trivia question out every Friday and give you Saturday to answer. We do the answer on Sundays. And I wished I could have sent one out because I would have liked to have sent one out to this group on Wednesday night. And it's almost a trick question. A lot of Christians probably wouldn't know any answer. I would like to think the majority of, the, uh, of Christians would know an answer. 
But I believe a lot of them would get it wrong if I were to ask who wrote most of the New Testament. Yeah, that's a good answer, but it's wrong. We know that Paul wrote 13 books of the New Testament. That's by far the greatest number of books. But Paul did not write the most of the New Testament. He just wrote the most books of the New Testament. There, there's three authors that wrote 70% of the New Testament. Um, one of them is John, who wrote, of course, the book of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he wrote Revelation. Those books make up 20% of the New Testament. Um, we have Paul, who wrote the 13 books. Now, you can't credit Hebrews. Some people try to credit Hebrews to the Apostle Paul. Some credit it to Luke. Some credit it to several different people. You cannot give credit because the author is not named. It doesn't tell us who it is. They talk about writing styles and all. Well, it has to be Paul because of writing styles. No, it doesn't. There's a lot of discrepancies in the writing styles of Hebrews versus the, the Pauline epistles, not to mention the fact that in all the others, he introduced himself. So why in that woman he not introduced himself? But So you've got some of them that there simply isn't an author given, but of the 13 that he wrote, that makes up 23% of the New Testament. Luke only wrote two books. He wrote the Gospel of Luke. And he wrote the Acts of the Apostles. But in those two books, it makes up 27% of the New Testament. So in reality, Luke is the one. Now you know why I said it would be a good trivia question, right? And this one that most of us as Christians write, just right off the top of the bat. And actually, Paul, we think it because of the 13 books. But in reality, in terms of volume and the actual study, uh, it, it would have been Luke that wrote the most. The book of Acts is considered to be the book of power. Some people call it the Acts of the Apostles. Some of them call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned more than 50 times just in this one book alone. Several years ago, I don't know if you all remember the Bible that I always carried was falling apart and the cover was off. And I really searched for a couple of years. I wanted to get it recovered and I still would love to. I wish I knew somebody would put me a nice cover on it. I'd love to go back to carrying that Bible. But Danny Peace felt so bad for me from Sunday school and teaching that he bought me a new Bible. And I didn't carry it for a while, but I finally decided this giant print is really good. <laughs> he knew what he was doing when he bought me this one. But, but I, I use my other Bible a lot. It's just it's, there's a lot of marks, there's a lot of references, a lot of things that I've written over the years from my own studies, from other people there. And so I look back in it today, and right at the front of it, somewhere several years back, I wrote, if you want to be strong... You have to work out. If you want to be strong in God, you have to study this book. So somewhere a long time back, somebody told me that this was the book of power. And, and if you want to be strong in God, this is a great book to study. Um, there's so many things that we know about the apostles and that we know about the church. And if we did not have this book, we, we wouldn't know any of it. The book of Acts is considered to be a, a book of great importance. It's the only account we have of the beginning of the church. It's the only account that we have of the work of the Holy Spirit in, in the early days in the work of the church and how he came in. Albert Barnes says this book is an inspired account of the character of true revivals of religion. It accords the first revivals that occurred in the Christian church. The scene on the day of Pentecost is one of the most remarkable displays of divine power and mercy that the world has ever known. The Acts of the Apostles contains a record of the organization of the Christian church. That church was founded simply by preaching of the truth and chiefly by a simple statement of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Acts of the Apostles contains the highest models of preaching. So 
The book of Acts gives us the record of the church. It, it not only supports the, the Pauline epistles, but it helps to clarify a lot of them. You take Acts and you take Paul's letters and you take the things that Luke said about Paul and then take Paul's letters and put them together. It brings a lot of clarity. It makes a lot of, of positive definitions and a lot of it. Um, it tells how the church began on the day of Pentecost. We know how the Holy Spirit moved into the room in cloven tongues, and we know the story. That would have been the day of Pentecost. That would have been the 50th day after the Passover. That's the end of the seven weeks of seven. The number 50 is the day of the Holy Spirit. That's the number of the Holy Spirit, and that's the day when the Holy Spirit moved in and, and the church began. That, that is the day when he did an extraordinary work. We see here in the book of Acts, it's a primary textbook for the study of mission principles as he talks about missions and going out and the necessity to evangelize the world is the, is the text for defending the faith that is the primary text for the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. You do understand the Holy Spirit is a he, it's not an it. There's no it to the Holy Spirit. He is the third person of the Trinity of the Godhead and, and the book is, is a great um, teaching tool for us, a great learning tool in the study of the Holy Spirit. It's a great learning tool for us um, on, on the support in Christian preaching. Luke chapter 24, Luke tells the story of the two men, the road to Emmaus. Y'all know the story there, right? They're walking and Jesus comes along beside them. And, but in chapter 24 and verse 44, Jesus said, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which are written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he parted from them, was carried up into heaven. They worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. In the book of Luke, Luke leaves off with the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the last thing that he tells about. In the Acts of the Apostles, he picks up right where he left off. He starts out with the ascension of Christ. The book covers Acts of the Apostles. There's several apostles mentioned. There's several disciples named. There's a lot of different stories about a lot of different people. But the main theme, the main focus on the book is Simon Peter and the Apostle Paul. That's the two that is discussed the most. Peter, of course, was the apostle to the Jews. He was a Palestinian Jew. He was a fisherman by trade. Peter would have been considered an ignorant man, for lack of a better word, an unlearned or an, an uneducated man. Paul, on the other hand, he was the apostle to the Gentiles. Paul was a Hellenist Jew. We know him as Saul of Tarsus before he, he met Jesus. He was the one who persecuted the church. Paul was a learned scholar. Paul was a genius. Make no mistakes about it. There's not much other way to put Paul. He was an incredibly intelligent man, an incredibly gifted man. He was an incredibly learned scholar in the ways of the synagogue. He was a, a well-educated Pharisee. He was a, 
a Greek cosmopolitan moving all around to different places. But his main purpose was to seek out those who called themselves Christians. We know by his own story when he talked about being beaten in privately and or being beaten in publicly and wanted to release him and how he announced himself as a Roman citizen. Peter was a, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ in person. Man, how awesome must that have been to have walked with Jesus Christ in his life, to have seen the things that he saw, to have heard the teachings firsthand, to have experienced the love and the compassion, to have experienced a love towards people that spit bitter hatreds toward him, to, to always be calm and always be under control. Imagine what it had been like to have literally seen the sight given to the blind man, or what it would have been like for the deaf to be made to hear, to see the lame rise up and walk, to see leprosy healed, something that had never been done and could only be done by the power of God, to see those things happen, to see Lazarus called out of the tomb or the woman's son raised up from the dead in the coffin. Imagine what it would be like to walk with Jesus and see the miracles. Peter witnessed all of those things, but he also witnessed the arrest of Jesus Christ, the trial of Jesus Christ, the beating of Jesus Christ, and the death and the burial of Jesus Christ. He walked with him for many days after the resurrection as, as Jesus came and taught him. He was an eyewitness to the ascension of our Lord is what Luke finished up writing about there in that last chapter. And Peter was there. He saw it. He, he personally heard the two men in white apparel that looked at him and said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into the heaven? This same Jesus, which you've seen taken up before you into the heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go. He, he was there. He witnessed all that stuff. Paul, on the other hand, was on a mission, and it was to capture or kill anybody who professed Jesus Christ. He was on a mission to get rid of the church. He was indoctrinated into that old school theology and he was on a mission to take out Christians. He was on his way to Damascus with a letter in hand for the sole purpose of finding people like you and I and arresting them or kill them. And it didn't matter to him which, it's probably easier to kill them. But one way or another, he meant to silence them, but Jesus had another plan. He didn't get to walk with Jesus in his life. He didn't get to see all the miracles firsthand. He didn't get to see the compassion. He didn't get to see all the things that Peter saw. What he saw was a God that stood before him in the name of Jesus Christ and called out to him and called him into the ministry. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said in verse number 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again on on the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. Last of all, he was seen also of me, or, or of me also, as one born out of due time. That's what Paul says of himself. I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yeah, I like that statement. By the grace of God, I ain't much. But I am what I am. The, the story here of the church in, in the book of Acts is a story of 
constant expansion from the very beginning, from the very first day when the Holy Spirit fell. Peter preached more than 3,000 souls were added to the church in a single day for the next two years. Paul did missionary journeys all, all throughout the land doing the, these mission trips. Uh, went through all of the, the four major Roman provinces. He, he went through Galatia and, and Macedonia and Achaia and Asia and he set active churches in every major city that he went into. He left churches working behind him. Acts chapter 1, if you want to turn, we're going to get started on Somebody tell me what time it is. Oh, we're in good shape. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read just a few verses starting at verse number 1. I'm going to look at a few of them, so if you want to turn there and follow in your Bible. But, but he opens up by making a reference to his first letter, which is what we call the Gospel of Luke. doesn't take him but just a minute till he gets to the words of Jesus. Acts chapter 1, verse 1, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. You stay standing up for just a minute. I'm going to give you something for free to help you remember who he wrote the letter to. He wrote the first letter to Theophilus. He wrote the second one to this same man. There's one reason I never forget Theophilus. I always know exactly who he wrote it to. How many of you remember Charles Snyder? Y'all remember Charles Snyder? He went to church here 10, 12 years ago. You remember Charles? So Charles, Charles Snyder and Rich Pike used to work for me. And back in about 2011, 2012, we were doing a lot of jobs up in Atlanta. And we had been studying the book of Acts, and we were talking about it. And them two clowns got to carrying on about the name Theophilus. Man, wouldn't you hate to have a name like Theophilus? I hear it, and they walk in the door. There's old Theophilus. Ain't that Theophilus smell you ever smelt? Look at him. That's, that's Theophilus-looking dude I've ever seen. Wouldn't you hate to have that? It's a crazy how you remember stupid stuff, but you can't remember the Bible. But fortunately, that was about Theophilus. It was kind of like those old songs that you can't get out of your mind. I always remember Theophilus and them two clowns cutting up while we were supposed to be getting work done. Verse number 2, until the day which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God, being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For truly John baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father had put into his, in his own power. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. When he had spoken these things while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Um, that's all we're going to read and we won't be able to cover those. But the, the human life of Christ and the ascension to the Father is just the beginning. It is the beginning of the one who had no beginning. Anybody hear me? It is the beginning of the one who has no beginning. Jesus is eternal. 
He is everlasting. He is self-existing. He is in the beginning. He is Alpha and Omega. He, he always has been. He is the uncreated, self-existing second person of the Godhead Trinity. He existed before time ever began. John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. That is Jesus Christ. He is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. His human life is a new Beginning, It is a new mode of life for an eternal, everlasting God. Jesus has something now that for all of look back. You ever tried to imagine there not being an end to anything? You ever try to, you ever try to picture that? I, I've told you before, that's hard for me to imagine that there's never an end. Everything that we know has an end. That's just life. So it's very difficult for me to picture something that has no end. I don't know why, but it's even harder for me to picture something that has no beginning. It just always was. There's never a starting place. There's never anything there. That is Jesus. And all of that forever back there when there was nothing, Jesus has something now that he never had before. He has a battle-scarred body a body that he took on that is the payment for a sinner like me to be able to live in the presence of a holy, righteous, almighty, sovereign, perfect God. He, he has that forever scar scarred body that is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for somebody like me. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. His incarnation is the beginning of a new kind of living. That's what it talks about when we become new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. It is a brand new form of life, but it's because it's talking about spiritual things. Adam was made in the image and the likeness of God, but Adam sinned. We say amen. Jesus came to restore what was broken. Jesus didn't come and say, uh-oh. God didn't say, oops, Jesus, you're going to have to go. They, they didn't say, man, Adam, you messed up. We made you right. We weren't counting on it. They knew exactly what was going to happen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, Wherefore, when he cometh to the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin thou hast had no pleasure. Then said I, lo, I come. In the volume of the book it is written of me, to do thy will, O God. It was prophesied for hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. He always knew before there was ever a beginning, Jesus always knew that he was going to take on a human body to come and buy back what the devil stole away. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Verse number 8, and when he said, Sacrifice and offering and burnt offerings and offering sin thou wouldest not, neither hadest pleasure therein which are offered by the law, then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. The human body of an eternal God brought a new way of life. Mm. Everything he did was new. Everything he did was a first. He was the first to be virgin born. He was the first to be conceived 
of the Holy Spirit. He, he was the first one to, to live a sinless life, perfect and without failure before God. He did things differently even when he was a boy. Other children are out playing. Jesus is up in the synagogue. Mom and daddy looking for him. And he's up there having a debate with the members of the Sanhedrin council. Everything that he did was different. He was, he was the first to do the miracles that he did. But not all that. He was the first to die so that somebody else could live. Mm, I like that part. He's the first to walk out of the grave alive. He was the first to walk out. But he won't be the last to walk out. Every one of us that have trusted him will walk out of the grave. When the trumpet sounds, we're going to leave here. And, and the graves are going to bust open. I like to see what CNN and those guys are going to try to explain away the next day. You imagine all the UFO stories that's going to be going on that day. Man, right now, they're talking about how they've seen something on one of Mars's moons, and it shows some life. I don't know why they say that, because it's like 20-something feet deep in ice, but it's supposed to show something of life. And they got all these rovers running around up there, and they're trying to find something that's out there. If they want to know what's out there, just read the book. Well, it's out there as an expanse, and if God wanted us to know, he'd already told us. But they're trying to come up with all this. They're setting all the stages about UFOs. They're setting all the stuff that's going to happen because one day soon it's going to happen. They're not going to hear it, so they ain't going to know what happened. But we're going to hear it the minute the trumpet sounds. We're out of here, checked out, gone. We'll be in the presence right then. They'll be here trying to explain it. Sadly enough, this building right here, the fullest it will ever be, will be the Sunday after we're gone. There's a whole lot of them know the truth, but they don't want to abide by the truth. They don't want to hear the truth. They've heard it. They've rejected Christ. They know the truth. They want to tiptoe around. They want to do casual Christianity. They want to be a part-time Christian, play church every once in a while on Sunday morning, but they don't want to surrender to a sovereign God and live their life because they do not have a relationship with the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have a blood-bought relationship and not want to live for Him because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is the third part of that trinity. And if the Holy Spirit's living inside, you're going to want to serve God. It's going to be a sad day. They're going to come looking that day, but there won't be anything here for them. He brought a new way of teaching. John chapter 7, verse 44, some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Then came the officers to the chief priests and the Pharisees. They said unto him, why have you not brought him? The officers answered and said, never a man spake like this. They, they, they were dumbfounded at his teaching, at his wisdom, at his knowledge. They didn't even know how to handle this. I mean, we, we can't arrest a man like that. Matthew chapter 13, verse 54, when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue and so much that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom and, and these mighty works? His teachings were accurate. His teachings were perfect. They, they were amazed by him. He had a complete knowledge that covered over space and time. He, he had knowledge and wisdom that reached beyond the beginning and after the end. And people were like, where does all this come from? It was the beginning of something brand new. But it wasn't the end. His teaching was handed over to his apostles. And that's where we pick up in Acts. Jesus is checking out, called up into the clouds 50 days after the Passover, 40 days after meeting with the disciples, and he leaves up into the cloud. That, that's not the end of the story. He handed his work over to the apostles, who handed work over to those behind them, who handed it over to those after them, who handed it over to those after them, who handed it over to those after them, who handed it over to, them, handed over to, them, handed over to us. 
Our job is the same as theirs. It hasn't changed. Verse number three, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Jesus knew that what he was given to this handful of men, he, poor fishermen, scholars, makes no difference. A small handful of men. Jesus knew that, that what he was giving them was a big task. Jesus knew that they needed to be fully convinced. They needed to be fully persuaded in who he was. I mean, he knows the last thing they saw was when he got killed. He, or when he gave his life. I shouldn't say he got killed. Even though he did get on that cross, they didn't kill him. He gave his life. He said, no man taketh my life. I, I, I lay it down freely. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again. So I shouldn't even say the word kill because he really wasn't killed. He just used some old Roman guards and a cross to do what he needed to do to take care of you and I. Amen. So, so when, when Jesus was buried, it wasn't the disciples who remembered what he said about rising on the third day. The disciples weren't rejoicing. They weren't camped out outside that tomb waiting on him to come out. They were hiding in fear, which tells me they didn't believe it. Now, I'm not throwing a stone at him. I wouldn't have been able to believe it either. I watched a man beat to death and die on a cross. I wouldn't have been any different. I'm not casting a stone. I'm just trying to help you understand what they saw. And they obviously do not believe that what he said was real or they would have been in anticipation of Jesus Christ coming on the third day instead of hiding out upstairs. The ones that believed it was the enemy. The ones that at least had some form of belief was those of the Sanhedrin council and those of the chief priests because they're the ones that said, hey, man, you got to seal that tomb. Make sure that don't happen. Make sure nobody steals the body. Make sure you don't get out. They're, they're the ones that remember it. So, so Jesus, after the resurrection, he understands that he has to come visit with the apostles. He has to spend some time with the apostles. He has to break bread. He has to come down and call them in on the boat and eat some fish with them there by the lake. He has to spend some time and teach them. They need to learn because they're, they're going to go through some tough times after this. Every one of them is going to be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of them is going to be able to stand on the Word of God without a doubt, understand the Word of God is what they were writing. They didn't have what we have. What they had was what Jesus told them. They've got to go through it now without Jesus standing beside them, without one that can blink and make all things go away. they got to go through persecution and turmoil and tribulation and trials and persecution, and they got to go that standing firmly on the faith that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. You may have put him on a cross, but he let you do it because he came back to pay the price. Jesus knew that they needed to be fully convinced so that they had no doubt in their mind because he's leaving his work to them to go tell the world about. They did a pretty good job. Anybody agree? He talked to them about the kingdom of God. When, when God made Adam, he said, let them have dominion. He gave them dominion over all the things, but Adam sinned. He lost that dominion. He surrendered the dominion. So God came to the garden and he pronounced judgment on the serpent and on the sinners. When Adam's children were born, they were born in sin. Therefore, they were subject to Satan. Jesus came so there would there'd be a way to take away. Oh, I love this part. There would be a, I put it down when I was studying, looking through, and, and I went back over, looking over the things I wrote down. I wrote so that there would be a way to cover a sinner's sins forever. And when I read back over it, I said, you've lost your mind. He ain't covered nothing. 
That's what the blood of bulls and goats did, change that. It's a good thing about a typer, a, a, a computer. You can just delete and type something back. He didn't cover nothing. He took it away. He came that he took my sins away. He took your guilt away. It ain't covered. It ain't there with something over it. It's gone. Cast into the sea of forgetfulness as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. He came so that all of our sin could be taken away so that our perfect relationship with a holy, righteous God could be restored, and we now have communion with the Father. Man, what a Savior. Jesus told Nicodemus, John chapter 3, verse 3, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus came as king of the Jews. But he was rejected. The Bible says that he was rejected by his own. John 1.10 says that he was in the world. The world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He came to his own, but his own received him not. Therefore, the kingdom was postponed. The, the kingdom that, that he came, that he would have established, he already knew because he already had it written out. We already knew about the church age. You understand, you put Daniel with Revelation, you tie them all together. He already knew about Revelation. He already knew about the thousand-year millennial reign. He already knew about the great white throne of judgment. And he already knew about all that stuff before we ever even get to Christ. He already knew all of these things. So, so when he came, see, the, the literal kingdom had been promised to, to the descendants of Abraham, and it had been foretold by the prophets of the Old Testament. It's all there. The promise wasn't broken then, nor will it ever be. It's just been delayed for a season. It will take place in a future date. That's when we have the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, when Satan is bound and cast into the bottomless pit for the thousand years. But at the end of the thousand years, he will be loosed for a season. But at the end of the season, God's going to take hold to him by the throat and cast him off into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. There he shall be tormented day and night forever. He ain't never getting back out, and all those that followed him will go with him. But you and I, need I say any more? You and I will be with him always and forever. God, God makes all things new in the end. In the meantime, as Christians... We're to preach the gospel. We're to deliver the message. The physician starts out writing right here, and he says the last time we saw Jesus, he went up into the clouds, and here's the last thing he told us to do. Go tell the world. Go tell them about the cross. Go tell them about the blood. Go, go tell them about the Father. Go tell them about the resurrection. Go tell them that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And that no man cometh unto the Father but by me. But if you come to me, I am eternal life. I am everlasting life. You go tell them. And, and tell them to tell the ones behind them. And tell them to tell the ones behind them. 
and he had them write letters and he preserved it and he put it down and he passed it down and he said, hand this to Faith Baptist Church in 2021 when they're dealing with COVID and all kind of garbage and they got a knucklehead White House going on up there and all the filth and all the garbage is going on. They look, they make Sodom and Gomorrah look like saints. They're full of filth and full of nasty and they're going to need some help. They're going to need some hope. They're, they're going to need some strength. They're going to need something to carry them on. Write it down in a book and hand it to them and tell them, keep on telling the world. Don't stop. Somebody out there will hear it. Everybody won't. Somebody will. We don't decide who will, so the only way to know who will and who won't is tell everybody. Amen. He says, tell the world, tell everybody, everybody all around the world, tell all that you can. But it's kind of like we talked about last week and then what Brandon had mentioned they saw there. You may not can tell everybody around that globe, but you can tell everybody around you. That's what the disciples did. But when each one tells each one that tells each one that tells each one, news traveled fast then. Imagine how fast it travels now. If you do something really stupid and video it and put it out, what do they call that that it does? Viral. It goes viral like that. You can't do anything good and get it. You've got to do something stupid. But if you do something stupid, it can go viral like that. Man, if we could just ever catch on to that to tell people about the glory of God. But that's our job. That's what he tells us. I'm, I'm really excited about this study through the Acts of the Apostles. It's an incredible book. It has some incredible stories of some incredible men. And God used men just, and women just like you and I to do some amazing things in a very difficult world. We think we're in a bad spot. They were in Rome. They were in a place that had no compassion had no heart, had, had no feelings. They, 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 would, they would kill somebody just to watch them die. I mean, anybody could crucify, anybody could beat. That tells you of the brutality of them right there. But if you go and you study, they had so many cruel methods. They didn't want anybody to die fast. Oh, they beheaded a few, but most of them, it was painful. So it ain't like we live in this bad time and they had it great. No, they, they were the foundation of the church. They were the front runners. They were small in number by comparison. I feel like we probably are today too. Anybody feel that way? I feel like we're probably small in number by comparison. But we're on the winning team. Our name's on the roster of the winning team, amen. So I, listen, if you got anybody who thinks they'll come on Wednesday night, I wish you'd tell them to at least come try a couple of Wednesday nights. I really believe. Listen, if, no, if none of you come and nobody listens, it's going to be good for me. So I'm going I'm to do it either way. I'm, I'm excited about getting to teach this book again. It's been a few years since I've taught in it and even just studying it today to see some things that I had forgotten and to refresh your mind and to see some things that I've never really seen that way before. So hope you can be here. Hope you'll invite somebody else. Maybe we'll gather a few more, but either way, we'll learn something together and, and ask God to encourage us and strengthen us and help us to do exactly what this book says do. Proclaim the gospel. Tell the world about Jesus. He is enough. Amen. God, thank you so much for being so good. God, I thank you for this book from in the beginning to amen. There's not a word in it that I don't love. There's not a word in it that I don't believe. There's not a word in it that can't change me and make me better. God, I thank you for it. I thank you for an opportunity to even read it. Blows my mind, God, that you let somebody as simple-minded and foolish as me 
teach this book, God, but I pray as we go forward, would you use me, Father? I pray you'd show me things I've never seen, teach me things that I've never learned, that I may share it with you people, that maybe somebody else might learn something as well, God. I pray you would teach us and make us usable vessels, Father. It is our heart's desire to change LaGrange, Georgia, to change Troop County, to change our surroundings, that we might change the world. Help us to tell the world about Jesus Christ. It's our, it's our heart's desire, God. We love you. You've been good to us, and all we want to do is be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.